Does this count as like an old Hollywood movie though? No, it doesn't. But <laughs> well, that's kind of that's kind of funny. I just want to hear y'all's take on it. Also, it's I just have a to, movie. I'm, yeah, it's just, also, a movie. <laughs> it's just a movie. Okay. Uh, all right. You come to me on this day, the day of my sugar baby's graduation from Pratt Institute. No, anyone? <laughs> you, know you don't mean? understand how that meme came out the year I graduated from Pratt. It was really not a good time for me. <laughs> Yeah, I think you sounded pretty much like him. I need to practice it a little bit more or like smoke a cigarette right before I do it. I think the problem is, is you don't have a very low voice. Yeah. You come come to me on this day. The day of my... No. (laughs) You sound like a dying character in Spongebob. You're so right. Wait, okay. Yeah. Did you guys watch Zootopia? There was a character who was like a mouse. No. Who was like a godfather... Oh, is it kind of like hot a little bit? I would say not really. Like he's literally mm. a tiny mouse, but he is wearing like a golden mm. chain. I'm and, pretty like... sure he's hot. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, okay. I didn't want to say it, but he's hot. Wait, and wait. they do come to him on the day of his daughter's wait, wedding. Why, why is he so hot? <laughs> he's so cute. Yeah, uh, he's kind of. <laughs> I love him. Yeah, you could do an impression of him, Sam, because I feel like his voice is high pitched. Okay. Oh hell yeah. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll get to work on that immediately. So funny. Yeah. Um, should we say what the episode's about? Mm, yeah, so that that introduction was totally or mostly unrelated to what we're gonna be talking about. We have decided to um address the current moment where we've been having a lot of public discourse about old Hollywood stars and have decided to dedicate an episode to the old Hollywood archetype, I guess. Um or just the movement or <laughs> the movement. <laughs> the old Hollywood movement. So I guess we noticed some contemporary references uh all surrounding this old Hollywood period of time and genre in film. The most notable would be Netflix's Blonde, which came out pretty recently to much controversy. Uh there are a few others coming up, like the movie Babylon, which is about Hollywood in the 1920s. And also, Sydney Sweeney just announced that she will be leading the remake of the movie Barbarella, which isn't really old Hollywood, but we'll get into more about it, why it kind of evokes those same feelings. So, yeah, that's why we're discussing this today. To clarify with old Hollywood, I think it's up for debate what the time period is, but generally it's mm-hmm. like 1910s to 1960s. So I think I guess it depends on who you ask, but um, there's definitely some sort of like strange, um, I mean, there's always phases of our culture that become really fascinated by old Hollywood, right? Like I remember when I was younger, Vanity Fair covers were always very old Hollywood themed. The Maryland Mm -hmm. shoot is always kind of like a way of like introducing or like uh, a new sex symbol into um, like the movie scene or whatever. Um, I feel like every like um, sex spot actress has had like at least one Marilyn shoot, right? And it's very recognizable. But what did you guys think of Blonde? Yeah, I guess we can use that as our jumping off point. There's a lot of controversy about it. And then also, I don't know, people are touchy about Marilyn these days. Like there was the whole Kim K dress at the Met Gala where she was busting out of the, <laughs> of the seams of Marilyn's iconic happy birthday, Mr. President dress. Um so people seem to be concerned about her legacy and often are discussing like what it means to be a sex symbol, what she represents to the American public. 
And I think the movie reinforced that she was like kind of crazy. And it also reinforced that she was like an empty vessel for the fantasies of men, kind of. I would say that the movie was very bizarre. Who was I talking to about it? Oh, (laughs) I feel like I can't say her name. We'll bleep it out. This is who's telling me this she was like there were so many technical effects used in it that i feel like it'll be a good reference like as a filmmaker to just like show people like this is what i'm talking about like this is what i want to do because it has like all of these weird slow-mo like flashing lights it's very disorienting i would say stylistically (laughs) my boyfriend also said the same thing when we were watching it it like it definitely intentionally flashes through all these cinematic styles but I guess my main... I didn't finish watching it because mm-hmm. I accidentally fell asleep. But Wait, literally saying... <laughs> yeah, it, it's a long movie. And this is, comes into my point, which is that my main takeaway from it was, like, that it doesn't really seem to be something that would ever appeal to mass audiences on such a mainstream platform like Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought... I guess my, my deeper take was, like, oh, wow. Like, it's just emphasizing... Um, her kind of portrayal in history and in the media it's not about her as like an actual person um which i think sam is pretty similar to like Mm -hmm. what you've been saying about it as well and that it's like a sociopathic portrayal of her yeah i mean that was my first impression of it um which i i actually really liked it um and i i think it's just i have more of a um proclivity to liking pretentious movies which i could tell very much it was pretentious right and it did treat her legacy very sociopathically and her character was like super underdeveloped she had very little agency and i think that was almost like the point of the movie and i thought it was also really brilliant that the actress cast um was like a latina and had such a strong accent and like there's no resemblance to Marilyn at all and that to me like all of the things that people were criticizing about the movie, I mm-hmm. thought were like, it was the, literally the point. I thought it was the smartest parts of the movie, you know? And like, um, basically like I found, I, you know, jo- Joyce Carol Oates, who, who wrote Blonde agreed. And she said it, the movie was a brilliant work of cinematic art and obviously not for everyone. She said she was surprised that in a post me too era, the stark exposure of sexual predation in Hollywood has been interpreted as exploitation which I, you know, I agree with her, but I, I was really obsessed with how people reacted to Marilyn, um, or blonde, sorry. Cause I thought it was really strange. Um, there was a lot of things that were almost like very visceral about the reaction. I thought were really strange that, so I started searching for an explanation as to what Marilyn does to people. And I found a really, um, amazing essay by, um, Wendy Lesser, who is a literary critic. And she wrote extensively about Marilyn in her book, His Other Half, Men Looking at Women Through Art. Mm-hmm. My favorite part of this essay was the opening of it. And I thought it was extremely brilliant of her to notice this. She writes, there's something very depressing about setting out to write about Marilyn Monroe. It's not that so much has already been written about her or that the inevitable tendency in writing about her is towards excess, exaggeration, and a certain degree of inauthenticity, though all these things are true. The problem is that the closer you look at Marilyn Monroe, the harder it is to see her. As you peer through the structure and wreckage of all the news stories, biographies, gossip columns, and literary takeoffs, not to mention the movies themselves, you begin to get the feeling that she's not really there at all. 
at the center of all this commotion where there should be some tremendous motivating force, there is instead an empty hole. And I thought that was a really interesting um, description of Marilyn Monroe. And I thought spoke to the spirit of the movie, right? Which in which she was portrayed very one dimensionally as this almost vacuous is that how you pronounce it vacuous vacuous like um uh beautiful but empty woman right um yeah it's almost like i feel like audiences were like begging for her to give us more like oh like a read a book like type of thing like show us that kind of mm -hmm. marilyn monroe intelligence emotional intelligence that like every listicle has about her (laughs) there's like the, the real marilyn monroe but mm-hmm. from what I saw about the movie, yeah. which was not all of it, so maybe I'm missing something. But it just didn't give it that. Yeah, her pathology or just like her backstory being that she's fatherless an orphan behavior. and just like fatherless behavior and has daddy issues a lot in the movie mm-hmm. and it's like always calling every single one of her partners daddy and like mm-hmm. it's getting these fake letters from her dad <laughs> that were actually from the thruple. Spoiler it's alert. us, the um, thruple. <laughs> Yeah, we're the thruple. Um, I actually love that part, but it was like totally made up for sure. Yeah, no, uh, that was not real. It's just like even as an explanation for her like wistfulness and like you know dark side of Marilyn Monroe is just like not even that interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought um, Wendy Lesser talks about this a little bit in her essay, and it really il- illuminated why people were so frustrated and shocked and appalled by this movie. Because I think Marilyn Monroe does something specifically to people in the public that's very different. I mean, it's also we we, we come to know her image before we even come to know her name, right? We, we see her in, on posters and um, on stickers and T-shirts and stuff when we're like little mm-hmm. kids before we can even really speak, you know? So she's someone that we all have like a very intimate relationship with. But uh, Wendy also talks about how Marilyn's 21 months in an orphanage is one of the most publicized aspects of her life. And even though that's definitely like a traumatizing experience, it's such a short period of her life. And the fact that it's such an inseparable part of her legacy kind of explains that it's much easier to consume Marilyn when she belongs to no one, because if she belongs to no one and she's an orphan, then she can belong to me and I can take care of her. And I think that's what a lot of people feel about Marilyn Monroe. They feel very intimately connected to her. Right. Yeah. I think the main reason I pity her, feel like these (laughs) general sad vibes around her is because of her desperation to be taken seriously as an actress. Like there are so many quotes where she's like, gets really envious of other actresses that are getting paid more or getting more serious roles Mm -hmm. she was married to the playwright arthur miller which kind of like you would think lent some legitimacy to her aspirations Mm -hmm. but even the way that she's treated now like most people have not seen a marilyn monroe film like yeah they've seen like we can understand references visually from like gentlemen prefer blondes and like you know certain like scenes from her movies like the skirt flying up whatever but like no one remembers her for her acting and I think Mm -hmm. that is like the saddest part I want to get into more about this later but that that kind of gets into the whole divided self like public private thing that she had going on right yeah Um, I think this is a good a good platform to (laughs) what is a platform um I think we should talk about the historical role of actors in society, especially female actors, and why like female movie star pathology has fascinated us for so long. And mm-hmm. I don't know, Blonde makes like a 
points about this in that at least in Western society, it's not ever been okay for women to want to draw attention to themselves. Like in Shakespearean times, men would play the parts of women. It was just seen as like immodest and acting was associated with just like deviousness and deprivation, even if it was like aristocrats putting on plays like in their own house. And women who were performing in general were just like associated with being prostitutes. And I think that's still kind of like carried on into modern day. Like when you think about the type of women that would like want to be a movie star when that was like just coming up, like they weren't women that were like married. They weren't women that I don't want to say like self-respecting, but they were definitely going against like the norm. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the greatest tropes of like old Hollywood is like, the kind of troubled starlet who is like mentally ill and just like neurotic and on pills and stuff. And then the male equivalent is like the movie mogul, like abusive mm-hmm. studio head, which we can associate with like the studio system if we want to talk about that. But there's like a scene between Marilyn where she like fucks some guy to get a role, I guess. Which is, like, of course, sexual assault. Yeah, like, there's, like, multiple scenes of that. They really hammer it home in the movie. Yeah. Which is not confirmed if that actually happened, which, if it didn't, it seems, like, more misogynist to, like, make that up. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, the thing is, is, I think, I think it was Jimmy Stewart. Wait, who was in, um, North by Northwest? Who, mm. Was it Jimmy Stewart that was in, no, Cary Grant. I'm sorry. He's an example of someone who was, had just as much like um like insane personal life shit as a lot of like of the examples listed that you listed Alexa, like Vivian Leigh or someone like that right but th- that was like never really publicized throughout his life or part of his legacy he he was like super into like acid and like weird like crazy shit like he was totally psycho and um there's a lot of stories about him like encountering people and freaking them out but there's just not really that much of a public like lore about that with them but I think it is just like a Wendy Lesser talks about in her essay about Marilyn how she kind of embodies the idea of the mm-hmm. divided self right because she has such a dichotomy between like Marilyn Norma Jean you know that is explored in the movie slightly I guess but I feel like it's explored ad nauseum like there's so many <laughs> scenes where she's like I'm not Marilyn Monroe I'm Nora Jean. Like, stop calling me. Not Marilyn Marilyn Monroe speaking. Like, it's just really like, yeah. And she's just like, do you love Norma Jean or Marilyn Monroe? It's just like a life lesson. Like, do not change your name, or you Mm -hmm. will like have some crazy divided self, like identity crisis. Uh, You wrote a little bit, Alexi, about kind of how this crisis of the divided self of public versus private has something to do with like our current condition. I wanted to know if you could talk more about that. Oh, yeah, sure. I feel like it's always been a thing, like the association between actresses and prostitutes in like ye olden days, anticipated modern celebrity culture, like theater critics and writers always obsessed over the real and imagined sexual exploits of famous actresses. And reviews would often focus on their physical appearance and outfits and kind of like conflate their stage roles with their private lives is something that I read in an NPR article. (laughs) And Old Hollywood was definitely doing that a lot. Um, but I think the the thing in Blonde was like her identity crisis and like general dissociation mm-hmm. and just like not knowing who she is, which is like the driving crazy making force in her life. Um, I think there's a renewed interest in this archetype because 
we all feel this identity crisis in the age of social media even if you like have no followers you're just like there's the me that's online and then there's the me that's <laughs> IRL I feel like that this is like a corny point I don't know but yeah. like everyone thinks that they're like dissociating and like they um they're like can't tell who they really are mm-hmm. well I wanted to pose a question to you guys or maybe you can help me untangle this right because um I didn't really do extremely in-depth research into the idea of the divided self, but I did find the um, originator of this idea, the psychologist called Artie Lang, who um, he was kind of an anti-psychiatry psychiatrist. He he really tried to humanize the um, mental health industry or or center it, like make it more patient focused. Um, But um, he wrote a book about the divided self where he kind of noticed in his schizophrenic patients how um, they often felt that they had like an authentic private identity and then a false public identity, right? And he would describe the divided self in this quote. It says, the divided self can be stated as a denial of being as a means of preserving being. The schizophrenic feels that he has killed this self and this appears to be in order to avoid being killed. He is dead in order to remain alive. So obviously it's like you're killing this like private self that isn't accepted by society and your um, public self is like all that remains is sort of like a focus on protection for your private self. But what I find really interesting about old Hollywood stars and the way that they behave, right? Like Vivian Leigh or Marilyn Monroe or something like that, um, is that they often like their private lives are often the public aspect. And then like the public life of like a character they play is afforded a lot more privacy, I think. Um, and I think that accounts for a lot of the like, self-destructive behavior that these actresses performed right like kind of like destroying their like private lives yeah. right as like a means of protecting it i think that's a part of why marilyn was like so insecure about the roles that she was being offered because she was always just like playing like idiot bimbos and so that's who people would associate her with but it's like obviously at a certain point it like wouldn't make sense for her to be cast in something like mm-hmm. really serious <laughs> because she is marilyn monroe it's kind of like a self-defeating thing yeah also, the the t- the movies of the time, I think, were not super serious. You know, you did have, like, serious female roles. I mean, this might have just been a downfall of, of that era, right? But I think of, like, her... I just watched Some Like It Hot last night, rewatched it, mm-hmm. um, and I was, like, just laughing my ass off. That movie is so funny, you know? And, and I think she was really brilliant in that role as the dumb bimbo. It's really tragic, though, and I know that during that time she was... Um, pretty much uh, sedated on a number of medications and was very difficult to work with because she felt the world disrespected her. But um, <clears throat> I don't know, like uh, it it didn't feel like a lot of the movies of the time were extremely cerebral. Yeah, um, yeah I feel like people were trying to have a chuckle, to be honest, and be like, goo goo ga And mm-hmm. honestly, I this is... Um, I watched, this is not the same genre, but like I watched a silent film for the first time earlier this year. And I was like, wow, goo goo gaga, just because it is very simple, but it definitely appeals to your like basic emotions. Yeah. Which is actually a really nice feeling because so many of our movies now are like anxiety core and like very like post safety mm-hmm. brothers, like the movie Spencer. And it's always about like prolonging the state of anxiety that we're all in all the time. Yeah. anyways mm-hmm. and so i like this idea of like movies as this kind of like true comic relief there are also so very few actual female-led movies like the way that 
the studio system created this formulaic movie structure. Like there was always a leading man and a leading lady. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe Gone with the Wind is like a good example of when the lady was really like slaying. Mm. Yeah, she did. What did she say? She was like, um, as God is my witness, <laughs> like, I will never stab again. Like that was so slayed. Like, that was slayed. I love Vivian Lee. She's like one of the like psycho bitty neurotic actress queens. Also the fact that she's British. Yeah. That she's sense. British. Oh yeah. yeah. Read it and read. I do I just said this prior <laughs> to recording, but I feel really startled by British female actresses sometimes. Well, I mean, like, there's I guess this is kind of a point I want to talk about. Like British theater, like I don't know, theater is such a big part of British society and like always has been. So a lot of I don't know, like in England there are still like famous stage actors and a lot of British actors even today, like went to Shakespeare school and just have a different training. But I think Hollywood attracted a different type of just like sexy people who are attention starved. So that's why they're more insane. Like they never studied acting or they studied it in some like cracked out school in LA. Yeah. And also British actors are generally uglier, like Benedict Cumberbatch and stuff. That's what I was going to say. That's why I, when I feel like when I see a really beautiful British actress, I'm like, Oh, but that's just that's a me problem but they just have so much more character yeah and they're just like i don't know more recognizable and like more fun to watch perform because they feel like you're watching like you feel like you're watching a real person and not just like a fake world inhabited by hot people yes i completely agree uh, I, and something you've also mentioned in our preparation for this is the movie pearl which is another point of reference oh, yeah. um for this kind of re- reinterest in old hollywood starlet syndrome mm-hmm. And the lead in that is Mia Goth, who we I earlier found out is British, and she kind of has that like very unique face. And um, the the movie before Pearl X, it's all about like oh she has the X factor. Well, one thing I want to mention with this like British versus American dichotomy, and I think it is interesting. Like Vivian Leigh was married to Laurence Olivier, who is like the greatest uh, Shakespearean actor. And then I think second would be like a modern equivalent would be like Kenneth Branagh who directed like that, like five, six hour Hamlet movie that I was forced to watch when I was like, like so many Shakespearean actors are just like Americans only know them from Harry Potter. (gasps) Yeah. That is so true. true. (laughs) true. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. Dumbledore. He's just, (gasps) no, not Dumbledore. Um, Hagrid. Oops. Dumbledore did die. Though. Dumbledore died he like six die. times. Like there was the first yeah. death and the second death. But yeah. Yeah. Robbie no, Coltrane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the there was the first Dumbledore who died. Yeah. Uh-oh. Anyways. So tragic. Yeah, no, I remember when that happened. My mom was really sad because I was a child and she was trying to explain to me Wait, very it's, gently that it's actually interesting <laughs> though, because I, I feel like you're right that a lot of the uh harry potter actors were like shakespeare actors now they're all dying like mm-hmm. um the guy who played snape died as you may recall uh yeah yeah so they're all dying off so yeah i feel like that was like their silly thing like something sweet for the kids but now it's like their public persona is so associated yeah. with that but no one remembers when they played like king henry <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they had like a nine minute standing ovation or something <laughs> yeah. i know I really do think I like Shakespearean movies. Like, I actually, the Hamlet has like the, the Hamlet with Kenneth Branagh that's like six hours long has like Billy Crystal in it, which is weird. Um, but I do want to get into this like split that you were talking about with like American actors versus 
British actors. And I know that this is going to, this might be kind of like, it may seem like I'm conflating two things, but there is a little bit of a difference, I think, with Americans in vaudeville and then also like theater training and British people, right? And I understand mm-hmm. that vaudeville has its origins like in Britain, right? It does like traveling passion plays or whatever in the medieval age. It's like how the British like colonized, like the Anglo-Saxons colonized like a lot of the like uh, pagans, right? But I think Americans do have a very different vaudevillian tradition that was infused into Hollywood movies, like in a very distinct way, right? Like I wrote in the doc, like Buster Keaton is like a really good example of um, a vaudevillian actor, right? Because he's he he got his, the name Buster um, because he was a vaudeville actor as a child, and he would play this like naughty boy with his parents, right? And whenever he misbehaves, his, his parents would like throw him across the stage. And he learned to fall without injury. And so that's why he moves so crazy and has such a like physical style of like slapstick comedy. And the reason he's, he's named Buster is because he was in a vaudeville theater thing with Harry Houdini and he nicknamed Buster Keaton Buster because he fell. Because <laughs> he's getting his ass busted. Yeah. Also, like, Mae West. Like, for some reason, when I read that, I was, like, dying laughing. I was, like, like, a baby that's, like, the bit is that, like, he's a naughty baby who's been thrown across the room by yeah, his parents. Like, that's, like, what that vaudeville was, was, dude. Yeah. No, and then also, like, Mae West um, also started out in vaudeville when she was, like, 14, and she played some, like, sultry seductress that was, like, very crass and, like, um, quick-witted. But she was, she, it was called Baby Bay, and she was, like, 14 and playing this, like, sexy lady. And she was, like, arrested several times for a lot of her um, performances or just arrested once and she spent, like, eight days in jail. And she said that she had silk panties on and ate dinner with the warden every single night. But, um, <laughs> free like, May. just free May. Oh, yeah. mm. um, and the Marx Brothers also... Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, they all started in Bonville. And I think that that just, um, it accounts for a lot of the differences in seriousness in a lot of like old Hollywood movies, yeah. right? I feel like the two genres back then were like musical mm-hmm. and comedy I, and yeah. like detective. That's three. But... <laughs> guess you're right. <laughs> um, I guess I want to say, wait, we'll talk about Pearl more. I'll say that um, I think the vibe around actors did change with the invention of the old moving picture, which I think in its beginnings was still more of like a scientific novelty. And it also put some distance between actors and the audience. So you couldn't just like go proposition actresses for sex after the show. So I think it was a little bit more respectable, but you still had to be a certain type of girl to go after this as a career back in the day. Which brings me to Pearl. TVH, I will say that I didn't watch this movie, but I <laughs> I read a synopsis of it and I think I get the vibe. Like, duh, I saw so many clips on TikTok. Um, I think that it's about uh, like an unhinged young Texan woman with movie star aspirations. And apparently it includes homages to a handful of films like Mary Poppins, Wizard of Oz, etc. And... Like, all of these manic girl blogger types have really taken a liking to her character and her, like, histrionic performance where she's constantly just being like, I'm gonna be a star, like, and it's essentially just, like, main character energy Mm. gone wrong. So, why do we think that's so relatable to Um, people in this day and age? I mean, it has to do something with this, like, divided self thing, but I can't remember how I made that connection in my head. Um, I think it was just, like, I think... I mean, something, I mean, we, we just already know that women are experiencing like, a histrionic like crisis right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You wrote about this in girl blogging. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I was going to say, when you shared that, uh, is it Wendy Lesser? Is that the name of the... Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you shared that Wendy Lesser quote with us about how looking more into Marilyn's identity and legacy, she wanted to find, like, this magnetic thing, but it was actually just, like, a black hole. Yeah, she adore yeah, your hole, etc. I, <laughs> I had that exact experience when I was, like, reading this essay article about girl blogging, which is, like, when you look into, like, female obsession, it is, like, this really black hole that is mm. really... You can't get to the bottom of it, in my opinion, so far. Yeah, it's a it's a bottomless hole. Yeah. I mean, it is um more, more whole discourse, mm. second episode in a row that we have. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> I was just, like, thinking about... Remember when we were obsessed with those... um what was it called like those tiktok girls that would do desired uh, realities where they would like mm-hmm, shift yeah, into shifting. a reality where they're like celebrities i think that there's something really weird about people who are obsessed with like being famous like i was watching i don't know i saw another tiktok of some girl being like when you never like really tried in school or anything because you were obsessed with hannah montana as a kid and thought that you were just gonna get like scouted by like a Disney person and just mm-hmm. like become famous, but now you're realizing it's not going to happen. I do think that the fantasy of like being discovered or being like plucked out of, of obscurity and just being famous with no like practice or hard work or dedication has kind of yeah. plagued our generation. Like when you think about it, we don't have any like Gen Z stars that are well known for like hustling and mm-hmm. grinding. I mean, the- like we have just a lot of stars that are known for like yeah. they did really well in an audition <laughs> or yeah. like someone found like them in a mall. There's so many more outlets for celebrity now, like TikTok, like Instagram, even like feeling like you can communicate this kind of like magnetism over Instagram stories or something feels very related related to this like yeah pearl. yeah. It's just more of a lifestyle than it is like something that is earned based on skill. I'm also just really confused about how, like, at what point actors became some of the most highest paid yeah. and like, famed people in society. Because, like, didn't they used to yeah. be like social outcasts I mean, and freaks? Like, why do they get paid so much? Like, I genuinely don't get yeah, it. Yeah, someone crunched the numbers. Someone crunched the numbers because I ask that myself that all the time whenever I go to the Wikipedia of any movie and it's like the budget was. 500 million dollars and like 16 people mm-hmm. watch the movie yeah and the actors get paid like i don't know the directors get paid a lot but the actors also get paid a lot <laughs> i think that's like not necessarily as true anymore i think sydney swinney gave like a really interesting interview recently about how she was like actors don't get paid as much anymore and so i have to like keep working like i can't afford to take months off or whatever which i don't know how true that is she probably has a sort of mortgage or debt situation that she needs to pay off but um i do think it is uh strange i mean not to get into like i don't know if i want to get into like red scare like culture of narcissism territory but i do think it is like some sort of like narcissistic thing whenever people are have and this is the same thing that we talk about a lot as well in the chat right it's like zoomer um helplessness you know what i mean like zoomers being extremely like helpless and expecting a lot of people to sort of like guide them through life um and constantly i mean this is just something that i encounter constantly right and um there's like a really low emphasis on self-reliance in our society. Um, and I was talking about to someone else about this last night. And um, I think that this causes a lot of people to feel, first of all, 
I mean, I think it, it just makes them childlike and that they're entitled, right? Whenever you don't have any self-reliance or don't have any like sense of independence, you're obviously, you've had everything handed to you. And so you're in, you feel entitled to what you deserve instead of earning it, right? And I think also like um, this causes like a lot of like self, like insecurity, you know what I mean? Like this, you you being so reliant on other people and also feeling like you're exceptional because you've been able to like rely on other people. People have treated yeah. you special, right? And so you're just like constantly like dealing with this dichotomy of like, oh my God, like I'm so special. People just hand me things. And then also like, oh my God, I feel so helpless because no one is helping me out right now. And it just creates this like insane yeah. thing where it's like, I need something quick. I need a get rich quick scheme in my head. And fame is obviously the one thing that's going to like, stroke my vanity i see those tiktoks all the time of like and i have also friends that just yeah talk like this it's also kind of folded into the like i don't i don't chase mm-hmm. i attract thing and it's like okay if we're all not chasing then like what is going on and i think it's this is why i think that it's almost kind of cool like of course theater kids are annoying but i like when i encounter like new york adult theater kids that are still going to like 15 auditions a week and like waiting tables while like doing self-tapes like something about that is like really interesting to me and there are still like actors like millennial actors that are like you know I think it was John Krasinski or something who was like telling some late night show story about how he had lived in New York for a year and like not gotten a single role and was like ready to give up and then his mom was like just go on one more audition and then that was like what Mm -hmm. got him cast on The Office and I'm just like, we need more stories like that of just like actual perseverance and not just like love. No, it's true. And, and I think um, yeah, a lot of that's something that, you know, that that this is a very old conversation that we've or that we've had. I don't think we've talked about this in a while, but yeah, like the manifestation TikToks, right? Where it's like like to like affirm or whatever, that sort of thing, and very like um the secret esque things. I mean, this is like classic, like. The secret is very Hollywood, though. No, and then I I sent you guys a copy of Hollywood Babylon, right, which is written by um, Kenneth Anger, who was a student of Aleister Crowley. Like, there's a lot of, like, um, Aleister Crowley is, you know, even um, we talked about it last episode. What's his name, Fez? Oh, Norman Vincent Peale. Norman Vincent Peale. That sounds like Father John Misty when I say it like that. (laughs) It literally does. But Norman Vincent Peale is kind of associated with occultism. Yeah, for sure. That's not... So, like, um, I do think there is something, like, uh, very strange and very relevant right now that's happening. And also, you know, a lot of the girls that do, like, TikToks and shit that are, like, oh, I'm manifesting my life goals and dreams or whatever. And, like, I thought I was going to be famous. Um, They do, like, have weird spirituality aspects to them. You know, they have that, like, spiritual, not religious thing about them, which I think is really interesting. Um, Yeah, it's so mm -hmm, so L.A. core. Very L.A. core. And that's... uh, Hollywood, you know, very Hollywood corner. Um, the dark side of Hollywood. <laughs> Bailey Sarian has an episode about the dark side of the golden age of Hollywood. Oh my- if you guys want to listen to that, Ooh, I'm excited to listen. Recommend, but it's it's really just anecdotes about like you know how they made Rita Hayworth do electrolysis on her hairline to look less Latina. <laughs> Rita Hayworth was Latina. Was it Rita yeah. Hayworth or Ava Gardner? Or- <gasps> so it's probably both. It's probably honestly. I thought I thought Ava Gardner was like secret secretly Latina. Or no, she might be Spanish. Wow. That makes me feel happy. I love that Marilyn Monroe actually comes from the same similar region of Mexico that I'm from. Uh but she's not actually Mexican. It's just her mom was born in 
chihuahua i think that's actually such a little chihuahua yeah that's funny Um, because i feel like the word chihuahua is one of the biggest like mexican exports to the u.s in terms of language and with marilyn monroe chihuahuas fell off remember like beverly hills chihuahua and the taco bell chihuahua i feel like everyone wants to hurt them now to be honest and paris hilton's chihuahua i just saw a tiktok the other day of this woman Mm -hmm. who was like very mindfulness pilled and it was a video of her chihuahua that was like very relaxed and she was like this is what a chihuahua can be like if it's not in a home where people are constantly screaming and people are like being mean to it which i kind of agree like there's a certain i don't know if this is like classist vibes but everyone i knew growing up who had a chihuahua lived in like the messiest home where everyone was like mean to the chihuahua yeah i had i had a i had a parking lot chihuahua growing up that we got literally from a parking (laughs) lot um and he okay so let me just tell you guys the story because this is crazy because i thought that this dog ran away right Uh god told me that it ran away (laughs) and because it would always run away and then my dad hated this dog grew really mean to it of course and and then he ran away <laughs> ran away my I just thought he died right and then like literally like two years ago I was having lunch with my dad and I was like oh do you remember Spotty like I miss him like I can't believe he ran away and he was like he like looked at my mom and he was like should we tell her and they were like yeah and so like then they were like oh like he ran away but like this college girl like called us and so that they she found him and whenever I went to go pick her up she was like I love this dog so much like I bought him like a leash and toys and stuff but you can have it like bye little puppy and my dad was like, do you want to just keep the dog? Because, like, I don't want it anymore. And he just gave it away to this college girl. And so my dog was fine. And he just let me think for years that it died. Anyways. My grandpa actually did the same thing with our crusty white fluffy I dog. I think he did so. the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think he did. There was no one who loves a dog more than a college it girl. It is so yeah. true. <laughs> they live the most deluxe it's lives. It's true. I do miss Spotty, though. Well, Spotty's probably yeah. dead. No, it must have been there. Yeah, rest in peace. Yeah, I think he probably is, because I was really young. Rest in peace, Spotty, yeah. Anyways, I kind of want to talk about what you were saying, this, the anxiety core Ooh, of movies. Yeah, um, well... Movies are not easy yeah. to watch these days, I will say that. They're not easy to watch. So I, I basically noticed this a couple of years ago, where I realized, like, so many movies I was watching reminded me of the Safdie Brothers movies, which are just about, like, creating this sense of, like, ongoing anxiety. I think Uncut Gems is, like, a really good example of this. Obviously, Good Time is, too. But then I noticed, I went to go see um, mm-hmm. Elvis in theaters here, and it was just so, it was such a release from that, that it automatically felt so different in, like, like a sensorial and, like, neurological way or something. And yeah, so I basically, I just think these movies like Babylon, which is coming up. When I watched the trailer for it, I saw someone, a YouTube commenter named Rainflowers said that this film looks crazy. Been dying to watch it since this was announced. It's like the Wolf of Wall Street meets Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Can't wait. So I think these movies like Babylon and um, Elvis as well, which isn't quite old Hollywood, but there's still something in it that is similar. They're like a debaucherous mm-hmm. release, oh, I yeah. think, that reminds me a bit of like the power of entertainment that we were talking about with um, the type of movies that were ho- popular for Marilyn Monroe to be in, basically. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Baz Luhrmann is the king of mm-hmm. doing this, but his Romeo and Juliet was kind of anxiety inducing, but I think just like the visual effects. Yeah give a release like it's not dark mm-hmm. and like i do feel like that's his grunge movie though i feel like that's his like that's like his sophia coppola movie yeah that is his soft grunge era. yeah it's so true uh, 
Wait, I want to say about Elvis. It's really like I think Elvis and Blonde are mm-hmm. interesting movies to compare and contrast in their like treatment of these iconic figures. Obviously, Blonde is a lot darker. Elvis is also dark, but it's hard to take seriously. Yeah. <laughs> but at the like Elvis also has this vibe of literally being a whole like except he was very talented. He had like a natural talent and charisma, which was like good, but <laughs> Wait, what was I trying to say? Oh, I really like the part in the Elvis movie where he like like Elvis goes to Hollywood mm-hmm. and he like makes all these really shitty movies and he's also not very well known for being an actor, but that was his dream was to be like a James Dean like very good and well-respected actor. So it's funny that both of them had this aspiration that they could never quite reach. But I want to talk about like the studio system era of Hollywood and why it created so many busted movies. Wait, wait, I really want to get that? into this um anxiety core Elvis Blonde thing. Um, because I have kind of a crackpot theory that relates to all the cheating scandals. Should I get into this now or should I get into it later? You can go for it. Okay. Um basically I think like you're you guys are totally right about this like weird different like blonde was definitely mm. like an anxiety core movie and Elvis is definitely like this like sweet release from all of this and i think that this is related to all this cheating scandals in the public which have been really popular all over like i think uh the try guys cheating thing was spoofed by snl and there's also like a huge chess cheating scandal there's like a fishing cheating scandal there's a poker cheating scandal like there's so many cheating scandals and i was like what is going on here right and i think there's also like this is also related to the discourse about like quiet quitting and like nobody wants to work anymore by Kim Kardashian or whatever. Um, But I think um, basically like my understanding of it is like in order for someone to cheat or to quiet quit or to, I don't know, kind of like um, leave society, I guess, is to, uh, you have to kind of feel very cynical about the symbolic order that beckons you to behave in a moral fashion. And you have to kind of like destroy it in your head and feel like you, those rules don't apply to you. Right. And I think like, um, post-COVID, you know, like for three years, like those in power kind of put the entire world on pause and everyone had to like go into their houses and work and like stimulus checks were divvied out and unemployment, right? And they just kind of like sent everyone back into the world without like expecting any type of like change or difference. And I think like this created a lot of people like, or just um showed a lot of people that like, there's a man mm-hmm. behind the curtain, not a wizard, you know, it's just very like destroying your sense of like, there's this like mysterious order that's like organizing everything and we're doing this for an abstract reason. Um, and I think like the reactions to Elvis and Blonde were so starkly different, right? Cause Elvis was really highly praised and Blonde was highly, highly like um, uh, criticized. And I think it is just cause people feel extremely tired of the cynical um, narratives that are trying to sort of like pull the curtain back and reveal all the um, complex and like uh unsavory mechanics behind like the symbolic order I guess and um and I think like people really liked um Elvis because it was this very uncynical like childlike fantasy that like reinvigorated an old mythology that once gave American identity an abstract meaning and like we don't like that's this is another reason why I think people feel very protective of, of Marilyn because she is like a meta narrative that like defines American identity she's not just like an actress she's like a a part of Americana and it's like tradition. Right. Um, but I do think there is this like weird cynicism that's happening. And there's almost like a split between those who are trying to like move away from cynicism and those who use cynicism to their nefarious advantage, like people who are cheating. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you guys, if that's like a crockpot theory. No, <laughs> I thought that was so interesting because I, 
came to a somewhat similar conclusion, but it's in a different avenue. Um, which is, I was thinking the same mm-hmm. thing. I was like, I think that a lot of the analysis of blonde is coming from a very post Me Too point of view, which is something um, the author mm-hmm. of Blonde wrote herself too. She pointed that out. But like, I definitely think that Me Too coincided with this anxiety core sensibility in movies. Um, because once again, like you said, during Me Too, there was like this weird shift of power. So like there's this anxious sensitivity that the shoe could always drop. It was kind of disorderly because like power was transferred to basically like the lobbies of society. Whereas before, like in old Hollywood, it was very hierarchical. Like the source of power was so fixed. It was the studios. But Me Too broke Mm -hmm. that system. Allegedly, like studio executives lost their ultimate power. And so it's so interesting to see these movies like vividly recreate this pre-Me Too Hollywood where this like hierarchy of power and system of power was so resolute. And once again, I do think this goes back to this. I think you mentioned this as well, like this yearning for the security of artifice. Like, I think there's something that we mm-hmm. all can admire um, about being like, Oh, I'm so broken on the inside, but still like going Marilyn Monroe mode and still being like, so desirable to the rest of the mm-hmm. world. So it's just, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I think, oh my god, that was what was so corny about the movie, I'm realizing, is that it was, like, essentially, like, three hours of being, like, I'm smiling, but yeah, I'm, like, Yeah, it was so much of that. Um, but I think that is really yeah. part of her legacy and why people find her ultimately mm-hmm. so fascinating as a person. Yeah. I don't know, but it's not even like she was, like, Robin Williams, where it's, like, you know, the saddest people, like, make others laugh. Like, she literally was such a whole. No. Like, I don't say that in a misogynistic way, but, like, I don't know. No, yeah, I'll write, I'll, I'll, I'll um, quote Wendy Lesser again or kind of summarize one thing she wrote about, which is really interesting because she almost talked about how a lot of these, like, um, a lot of the people that were trying to, like, liberate her legacy by, like, humanizing her story or whatever, like, she names Gloria Steinem and this guy named Grand McCann, right, who were all trying to sort of, like, humanize, make her feel like the intellectual mm-hmm. Marilyn, right, that was, like, um we we didn't know who she really was and like that is almost like a lot creepier than the exploitative portrayals and I I felt I felt like it was and then whenever I didn't understand why whenever she like explained it I was just like that's super interesting because um she said that Graham McCann who wrote this like liberating her legacy story of um Marilyn Monroe um spoke about how like it led him like reading all of her diary shit and like all of the interviews and all the Arthur Miller biographical details or whatever, it led him to the intrusive process of trying to think her own thoughts. And Wendy Lesser writes, everybody professes to be inside of her, to know her true wishes and to be carrying them out. Nobody can leave her alone. She is there to be used, to be entered into, to deal with Marilyn at all as to become implicated in cruelty or at least manipulation. And it is just like, even people who are trying to humanize her, I feel like are treating her in this very mm. whole way, you know, it's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm inside her head. I'm, I'm thinking her yeah, thoughts, right? It um, is, it's interesting. Cause like the word bimbo comes from like the Italian word for baby. Um, and it is like this very, mm. this very kind of like babyish way of like, Oh, I know what you're thinking and you don't even really know it or something. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. It's yeah. Like she was like desperate to be taken care of though in her relationships. Mm-hmm um yeah we will never know who knows we don't know maybe that's where we should just leave it off is like let's not enter that hole yeah no um but one thing that's interesting 
biz that you talked about, like um, the centralized, like hierarchical thing um, in Hollywood, right? Like pre Me Too Hollywood, I guess. It's really funny because Camille Poglia used to always write about how like Hollywood it was like Americans sublimating their like desire for monarchy into like like a weird, like separate like fantasy world so that we could have democracy. I thought that was really, really interesting. Cool. I've never actually read that before. Yeah. Um, which you know, it's a classic yeah. thing. She just said something absolutely a bad shit, but it makes a little bit of sense at the same time. I do want to say on that point. Um, so as I stated at the beginning of this episode, Sydney Sweeney is set to play the star role in the remake of Barbarella. And so I was doing some reading into this because I was like, hmm, who's making the movie? Because she's executive producing it. And it's like she has some weird relationship with not weird, it's probably very normal, but she has a relationship with Sony where she's also starring in their Marvel movie Madam Web. And it kind of reminded me of this like studio system a little bit. Um, where I don't know if she has like a deal of movies she's doing with them or she just has like a really good working relationship with them. Um, but within that, her recent confession that she can't pay her bills based on her acting money, that was so old Hollywood too. So it's like she's in this like relationship with Sony where she's fronting mm-hmm. all their movies, but then at the same time she's being like, I literally can't pay my bills. And so that's why I have to do um brand deals on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of actors who have been engaged in the Marvel franchise, this does have an old Hollywood feel to it, or just like yeah, once you start doing Marvel, of course, you get, like, paid a lot, and then you're, like, in all these, like, stupid collabs, and, you know, you can just, like, be booked forever by them, but no one else will want to book you because you're just, like, delegitimized, and, like, you'll always be, like, this, you know, costume character that belongs to Marvel. This is something that I want to talk about. One thing I found out about the studio system of Hollywood, which was, um, it was, like, a method of filmmaking where like a lot of films were just made by a small number of movie studios which were the big five which is like mgm paramount warner brothers 20th century fox rko radio pictures which i think fell off this was like mostly a thing between the 1920s and the 1960s or like a period that we're talking about one thing i thought was really crazy is like it kind of goes hand in hand with like or maybe it was like a little bit after the gilded age where we had all these like robber baron like huge like personifications of corporate greed but like entertainment industry edition and the downfall of the studio system era of hollywood and like classic you know golden age hollywood partially was due to like the rise of television which created like a new type of star and a new type of production but there was a supreme court antitrust case that literally like the government had to crack down on the big five in 1948 but it like ended up being drawn out for like a bunch of years and this is why there are so many like busted hollywood movies and there was like such a high output in this time it's because of this practice of block booking in which studios would sell films to theaters in like a five film unit where only one of the films was like actually good and like people would want to see and like high production value and the rest were like really mediocre so this is where a movies and b movies come from and so even the most low effort like shitty films were still profitable because like they would still get sold to theaters in order for theaters to get the movies that they actually wanted um i don't know if this isn't important to explain but it just like it explains why there were so many people involved in old hollywood Mm -hmm. and why there were so many opportunities for actors because like they just needed like people 
to act in like these movies that even they were admitting were just like B movies. Like they were just like. I mean, I, I, I guess know. we have something similar. Like, so much money. I mean, I think we we have something similar now, right? With like Netflix or Hulu, like Netflix originals, right? That's like most of Netflix, just like really shitty. I would consider those like the, the B movies of our time, right? But the difference is that like it seems like the avenues for making B movies almost seem like the most the primary. Like it seems to be sucking so much money out of the industry that like any A movies or something that would be considered an A movie doesn't get a chance to get made. And I think that's why Blonde was on Netflix, which I think was a huge mistake. And and. Um, I mean, not a mistake. I'm sure that they were backed up against the wall in terms of funding. But if it wasn't on Netflix, I think that the backlash would not have been anywhere close to what it was, you know, like it was it was not meant to be on that platform. I mean, yeah, like that was definitely like a Lars von Trier does Marilyn Monroe thing, you know, like it was very like, like Gaspar Noe, like exploitation, you know, and so people are upset. I feel like a, I don't know, it felt like a pastiche of like prestige yeah but i still can't imagine like middle america watching this movie and being like i love the latest netflix movie blonde (laughs) no it's true it was a little too like um and i think like yeah pretty much like the the criticism i probably most agree with is that it was really pretentious um but i think you know movies have have a right to be a little pretentious and i'm a little pretentious myself so i would prefer like you know movies to be a little bit more like me um (laughs) I feel like the movie Babylon that's coming up is not going to be pretentious. Like, I feel like that, yeah, I feel like it's going to tap into this. this, I mean, it it seems so similar to The Great Gatsby um, with Leonardo DiCaprio, which on this point, speaking of Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt produced Blonde, and he's also Mm -hmm. one of the stars of the movie Babylon. And he also just, he is old Hollywood to me, I have to be honest. And I think it's because he mm-hmm. is obviously, you know, known more for his roles. And, or he was, he, he was maybe at his height, basically, I don't know, uh, allure during like the 2000s. But now he looks old. Like mm-hmm. he has wrinkles. And I feel like all old Hollywood male stars have a lot of wrinkles. Yeah. He, I, I think it's also his thin mustache sometimes yes. that makes him look like. Harry Grant. No, he looks like Clark, so, no, Clark he looks Gable. Like, um, Clark yeah. Gable. Yeah. Yeah. That like smirky, like Marlboro man. He has that just, same like, energy. Wisecracking, yeah. middle-aged, sexy guy. Yeah. yeah, and the fact that he's obviously embroiled in some legal troubles right now, um, and allegations with Angelina Jolie, who is like the kind of mm-hmm. humanitarian starlet of our time, a lot Audrey Hepburn. It's all very interesting. Well, their relationship is no, their their relationship is very like bogey and bacall to me. You know what I mean? Like very like yeah. um older. Well, I, I don't think there's an age difference, but definitely um there's something more rugged about Brad Pitt. Um like these lines tell these wrinkles tell a story type thing, you know. Um oh, I guess one more thing about Babylon that I observed, which is that so I've kind of been trying to figure out what the movie's about because apparently it was at first like based off of actual old Hollywood figures like Clara Bow and Charlie Chaplin. And Toby Maguire is supposed to play Charlie Chaplin, and Margot Robbie was going to play Clara Bow, but now it's more fictionalized. And so Margot Robbie's character is named Nellie, mm-hmm. and I truly feel like Nellie is the most like, um, I don't know, girl trying to make it in Hollywood name ever. Like, can you? It's literally the name of a girl who was in like a sing and dance duo with her father, where they played like a romantic couple. 
And then, like, she, like, tried to make it to Hollywood. The female buster. <laughs> it's literally the female buster. Oh, no, my God. female buster for sure. Um, so That's I just thought that was, that was a really funny detail that I look forward to seeing how that plays out on the silver screen. Silver screen, as they say. Also, Babylon, I was like, this looks very knockoff Baz Luhrmann, but it is directed by Damien Chazelle, the director oh. of um, La La Land which itself was, like, a love letter to, like, L.A. dreams and actors and, like, old Hollywood cinema yes. and its song and dancey little Yeah, for sure. Way. Mm-hmm. Um, what else was ugh, old Hollywood? Well, in the interim, I just want to say that Babylon follows the tale of, like, a Latino um, actor, I believe, trying to make it in old Hollywood, who's played by a Mexican mm-hmm. actor called, yeah. I think, Diego Calva, but... I was like, hmm, there's a Latino takeover of these all like these old Hollywood narratives right now. I think it's it's an almost like a degentrification thing because LA is like Latino land, yeah, but that's not that's what old Hollywood wants you to believe. It's like we're giving Hollywood back to the people who mm. were here first. Mm-hmm. But it is a bit of revisionist history, like our Latina um Marilyn Monroe moment that we just got. I know. I'm also just not a huge fan of Anna Dharma's, but um yeah, she's a I, I didn't really like her very much either before this, but I thought she was really good for the role because I felt like the role had nothing to do with Marilyn as a person. And it was really funny that they cast like someone so foreign to play Marilyn Monroe. But I guess it's like in line. She did kind of look like her sometimes. I feel like the greatest parts of the movie were just like me being like, I wow, agree. made her look like Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. <laughs> it was just very novel. Like there were certain That's actually points so where I was just funny like, wow, she's really doing it. I was reading this Kevin Aquan book earlier today and he was obsessed with hollywood i think um in old hollywood and he has this whole book where he just transforms like tons and tons of fairly contemporary celebrities into like figures of the past um and it was just yeah it's really interesting to see what makeup could do the power of makeup that makes me think of Do you guys have thoughts about um, Judy Garland and Eliza Minnelli? Yeah, well, we were talking briefly in the chat about Elizabeth oh Taylor, which I think yeah. would relate to my point about them. Wait, should I say something about Elizabeth Taylor? Okay, yeah, so you should say something. Uh, in doing preparation, mental mental preparation for this episode, I was thinking about how in my childhood, definitely one of the uh, kind of references for old Hollywood for me was Elizabeth Taylor. It's someone my grandma would reference all the time. I think my mom referenced her as like this great beauty of course there's this like incredible legend around her beauty which is that she had violet eyes um and also she had she she probably didn't have violet eyes but who's to say but she did have a double set of eyelashes a genetic mutation that causes two rows of eyelashes so she had these like beautiful like dark rimmed stunning eyes but i just feel like her lore has really fallen off with this generation like i don't ever see people reposting her on like mood boards um where i see them posting like still like audrey hepburn or like even like bridget bardot it's almost like her something about her has just not captivated our contemporary desire or something um but i just thought that was a interesting cultural like downturn i think it might be because she lived for too long yeah. Well, that was one thing that I was thinking was like she, she was like the sex yes, symbol of her time, of, of her time, right? And like, um, she was such a like, um, bombshell, you know. And she, I, I've, I've read a lot of people write about how like she was this like 
fresh cup of or like cool cool glass of water in like a sea of like perky um mm-hmm. uptight blondes right um like Debbie Reynolds types up and then Elizabeth Taylor comes in with like her loud mouth and like voluptuous body and just kind of like sultry presence right and she was like very wisecracking but I mean, a little cross and that comes out in the best and worst way during who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, who she did with Richard Burton as their marriage was falling apart. And it's like a movie about a couple's marriage falling apart. It's so good. But um, she was married eight times. That's what I mean. She really has a lore. Like she has this incredible mm-hmm. lore, but I guess you're right. She did live too long. Cause I feel like if she died earlier, this lore would be compacted in the way that like Marilyn the roses. Well, I think we need to revitalize the gay community. <laughs> we do. <laughs> is my proposal to that sort of thing. <laughs> we need to do something yeah, about Yeah, gay this. people don't have... Res- it's mm-hmm. like, they used to love people like Liza Minnelli. I think she's still referenced on Drag Race and to, like, old queen gays. Yeah. But, like, like, Dua Lipa is not the same as Elizabeth no, Taylor. No, you know she's I mean? not. And then also, like, I think it's really funny. Liza Minnelli and Elizabeth Taylor are two people who I think, like, were really attractive maybe in their heyday but they transformed into women that would only be married to gay men right like only a gay man would marry like share as well as someone like this um you know just original just like gay icons right and i was watching spartacus this week i had like a big old hollywood binge um and just there's like a lot of gay euphemisms that i enjoy in my life i'm kind of a i love um finding euphemisms for gay uh the gay community but um, I loved this like scene where like Tony Curtis and um, Kirk Douglas, I think um, they're like bathe- they're like bathing and like uh, Tony Curtis is like this like gay slave and he's not really gay. He's just like queer coded because they call him like like he who he is a singer of songs. It's like so queer coded. Um, and um, there's this like amazing like euphemism about like um, my taste includes both both oysters and snails, which is obviously like a bisexuality reference right and i think of like a friend of dorothy's is like a gay euphemism you know yeah. judy Liza Minnelli was also oh wait not Liza Minnelli, but um elizabeth taylor was one of the first celebrities to get like really involved mm-hmm. in hiv aids activism mm-hmm. which is really sweet of her yeah well but gays made hollywood like they were like styling the wigs they were doing costumes yeah it's really I mean, even kevin fascinating to think we just talked about he was so yeah, and he was obsessed with Hollywood and also really shaped the faces of Hollywood for the time that he was alive. Yeah, I, I watched a good documentary about him. Well, there's something so, like, about these repressive times, because everything was just so repressive, right? Like, I talked about the Hayes Code, right? Or it's, like, post-code Hollywood when things were extremely censored. But something about when you watch, like, post-code movies and, like, love scenes or whatever that are very modest in theory, they're extremely sultry and, like, very, almost way hornier than any type of modern sex scene where there's, like, full frontal nudity, you know? Um, Yeah. And I think it's, like, with a lot of, like, queer-coded movies, like, even Some Like It Hot, which I watched last night, um, it's it's so queer-coded, right? Especially the last line of that movie where it's, like, I'm a man, and then he goes, like, nobody's perfect, right? This guy that keeps proposing to um jack lemon who's going to drag the whole movie but um it's just like so something so strange about i mean i think this is also a very obvious observation right it's like um forbidding something makes it all the more like interesting and tantalizing you know yes um and then some like it hot there's like a billy wilder gives like a master class in this right with like the 
scene where Marilyn Monroe sings, I want to be loved by you. And there's this brilliant shadow like covering just the top of her chest. Right. And I guess like in theory, that's meant to protect her modesty, but in practice, it's really drawing your eyes closer and closer to her breasts. Right. And you're not even really thinking too hard about her breasts until, until there's like a shadow covering them up. And she's just kind of like inching up and down and like, it's just so like um, sensual, right? And it really is like a masterclass in like the censorship making something more tantalizing. Yeah, I think it's also some like a hot, I'm pretty sure where there's a scene where she's walking to the train and she's like not wearing a girdle. So you can see her like her ass like bouncing. And that is also was notably very mm-hmm. erotic at the time and people found it super erotic. Um, but that mm-hmm. movie is also good. So Mighty Not is really good. And I think that that definitely you should all watch it yeah no it's, it's super such funny. a funny movie and something that arthur miller said about Marilyn, which i think really highlights the point arthur miller who's married to Marilyn, highlights the point of like this sort of like censorship thing and like why it's so tantalizing it's, um he wrote about or sorry mm-hmm. norman mailer wrote this not arthur miller um he wrote in gentlemen prefer ones she is a sexual delight she's also the opposite of that a particularly cool voice that seems to say Gentlemen, ask yourselves what I really am, for I pretend to be sexual, and that may be more interesting than sex itself. Yeah. There's one moment in time specifically that really highlights the dichotomy between Marilyn and Elizabeth Taylor. So in 1960, she was like, Marilyn is really desperate to be taken seriously. And she found out that she was making $100,000 for what would be her last film, Something's Gotta Give while elizabeth taylor would be receiving a million dollars for cleopatra and this like infuriated her and she wanted to show fox that she could get like the same kind of coverage but the plot that she hatched was that she would do a like poolside photo shoot in which she would jump in the water with a swimsuit on and then come out without it Mm -hmm. and it was shot for i think life magazine by lawrence schiller um or i guess it was look magazine i don't know with all these like photo magazines and ended up being the cover issue but i feel like that's a good example of like the modesty thing like she's like kind of naked from the back or just like holding a towel like doing all of these things that are really pushing the boundaries but it's like that kind of shows her like fucked up logic like she was like oh like you guys are gonna take me seriously i'm gonna get naked Mm-hmm. you know no yeah it's true and and i think she maybe didn't understand that like the very fact that she didn't get naked made her as tantalizing as she was right and like yeah. i've seen that shoot before and um i don't know it is just like um i think it was like elizabeth taylor almost took the seat of someone who pretended to be sexual in order to be more interesting than sex itself right yeah and just like her string of marriages was like damn like it's giving like good pussy but it's not like she was ever like openly that like sexy i don't think she wore stuff that was revealing she was like oh no she definitely did she was um she was really controversial yeah she was really curvaceous i'll put it in the pinterest board amazing dress that she wore to maybe it was the oscars and it's like lavender her titties are pushed up high she looks banging but I'm, i'm body checking her right now there is a the controversy of her her being on the on the um poster promotional poster for a cat on a hot tin roof and she was kind of in lingerie oh, yeah. oh, yeah. very sultry look. I did watch that movie with my mom. Yeah, that's a good one. I read earlier I read earlier that that movie was filmed in color specifically because they wanted to capture the beauty of her eyes as well as 
Paul Newman's Baby Blues. Mm-hmm. And I thought that also really spoke to like mm-hmm. the star power people used to have. It's like, we're literally going to do a technical mm-hmm. invention. We're going to invent something so we can capture your... You know, or not invent, but you know what I mean. We're going to like have this like extra la- level of rigor to capture this element of your star power and beauty. This is something I wanted to highlight in terms of we've done an episode on Nepo babies, right? And like, um, this is also, I think, a Poglia take. I, I apologize for referencing her so much, but um, I think it is just like, I don't know if this is exactly what it is, but she always talked about how like Clark Gable was like an oil field worker before he was an actor, right? And it seems like all of these different actors of this time, they had such a lore, such a, a mystery about them, but there is also so many like different details of their lives that were highlighted, right? And I think it's because it they were like real people, right? And it feels like more and more like with the nepotism in Hollywood and that sort of thing, people are, are becoming yeah. less and less real. And I think that this is, um, and people always say like, oh, this is why the actoring was better at the time, right? But I don't even necessarily think that's true. I think it's more that like um, people find it more appealing that there are real people. Like you don't need to have those real experiences to inform your acting. You need to have those real experiences so people can relate to your yeah. personal life. Like, I agree. Because I think that um, I've been really questioning like who is our, who embodies old Hollywood today? And then I haven't really come to a conclusion but even thinking about someone, this mm-hmm. is not this wasn't my answer, but like Addison Ray, like people find it hard to like take her seriously and they think she does because it's like her life has almost always been documented on social media. So it doesn't have this like um mm-hmm. lore versus like uh the actor, I don't know how to say his last name because it's Irish, but like Barry Keoff, who plays the Joker in the mm-hmm. new Batman series and has a lot of other great roles. Um, he has this like incredible lore because he was like an orphan at some point and was a boxer. Um, so just like by having that kind of like offline life, it creates this like this mystery and relatability, like you said too, that may- mm-hmm. is maybe important for Star Power. I think it is, and it's oh, his name is. Barry, yeah, Barry, like, yeah, something like Barry that. Barry Q. Yeah, it's probably cough. I want to just say it's pronounced like cough. <laughs> cough, right? It sounds yeah. like it. But he almost does have this similar thing to Clark Gable, right? Where there's almost a, or there's, there is just something very noticeably different about people who have experienced real hardship in their, like, mm-hmm. youths or something. And then people, like, there is just, like, a difference. Their people are just more soulful or something. And it really does translate yeah. on the screen. Like, yeah, you can clock that, like, immediately. Um, Barry. With, um, Barry K. Barry. <laughs> I want to Barry, say. baby. Yeah, Barry K. Yeah. Wait, also, I think that another thing, I read somewhere, like, literally in some book that I found, like, my grandma's house, that was, like, a ye old <laughs> gossip book about, like, the love lives of celebrities, that Clark Gable was really into having sex with wow. ugly women. What? That's random. Yeah, and he was like, when they're ugly, they won't try to like hang out with you after. <laughs> it was like him being kind of like sneaky, but I think that you know, with the surveillance state of today, I don't think celebrities can have as much fun and have these like enigmatic personalities, like people like Carol Lombard, who was well known for throwing these like crazy parties and like acting in screwball comedies. There's just not as much room to be iconic. Like the most, like what do we no. have? Like. Leonardo DiCaprio who like yeah. dates really young women like it's really not tea iconic also has really lost its meaning which we all know but like for example like I feel like 
someone who gets called iconic all the time is Bella Hadid, but it's because she like posts a recipe for pasta mm-hmm. on TikTok. Um, and she's like, she's mm-hmm. like, put <laughs> extra cheese on it, and they're like, oh my god, iconic, or like rent. Like random music Icon. like starts in the middle and they're like, oh my god, the iconic TikTok behavior. Do you guys keep up with one of the things that is like a good finger on the pulse or just like meter for time is um Vanity Fair always does this like young Hollywood class mm-hmm. every year where they just like mm-hmm. go through like the people that are yeah. like up and coming stars. And it's really fun to look at from years in the past because it'll be like Amanda Vines and like Alexis Bledel, and now you're like, wait, mm-hmm. they actually did slay. Mm-hmm. But now it's like Evan Mock and just like people who were in like an HBO That's what I mean, original. Though. Like Evan Mock's life always existed on social media because he was a famous skateboarder before he was an actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I feel like he adopted the persona of famous person before yeah. he did anything to like earn it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know who actually is giving old Hollywood is Zach oh my Bia. God, you're right. <laughs> He's the new Gatsby. Imagine Zach Bia wearing a tipped fedora in the trench coat. Yeah, yes. he has that Buster Keaton and type, like weak chin and long. Yeah. Did he just grow a mustache too, or am I making this up? And yeah. he's like, he's like in an alleyway. His trucker hat is like his bowler mm. hat, though. Well, I also wanted to know what you guys think about Sydney Sweeney because there are some obvious old Hollywood vibes yeah. there, simply because she does have this like blonde hair, blue eyes, the mm-hmm. bazongas. But I, my most old Hollywood thing about her, or I don't know, she's very corn fed looking. And it's easy to imagine her being named Nellie. Mm-hmm. And one last point I have here is that I think it was on Emma Baker's podcast, Star Girl. She was like, it's actually really notable that um, Sydney Swinney is only an actor. Like, she's not, like, also a singer. She doesn't have, like, she's not mm-hmm. a YouTuber. Um, she doesn't own a skincare brand. She's just an actor. And that does seem like a very vintage way to make money in Hollywood these days. Um, despite her talking about her brand deal, she doesn't have any other, like, roster of talents so i wanted to know what you guys think about her i do think that her um cassie like euphoria role does have the character of like marilyn monroe parts where it just like reeks of desperation and sexual energy in a way that does just make Mm -hmm. for stardom yeah it's like a mix of like having no agency um and then also, like, trying to decipher how much agency ha- she has. Because I think this is also something Emma Baker said, like, obviously Sydney Sweeney is, like, a very shrewd business person. People always talk about how she, like, went to mm-hmm. business school before she was an actor or something. She has her own production company now. Which yes, exactly. Think. Exactly. But then yeah. it really contrasts with yeah. her kind of, like, desperate sexuality on 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 screen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think um, it's really... I like that you said corn fed too, because mm-hmm. I've been using that recently. Corn good. fed, great good term. term, but like, um, yeah, good, good term. But I just think there is, she's being a little misused. I think I, I liked the, uh, the desperation of Cassie and stuff, but I do think she can be, it was a little bit like embarrassing for her. Or she just had to be very like, um, exhibitionist in that role, which is what it demanded. And I think she was really good at it, but she does seem like she's she has like a different type of star power where she has like a little bit more class um and a little bit more like um complexity or something. But also her relationship with um whatever his name is, God, Euphoria feels Sam like Levinson. so long ago, the Euphoria guy, yeah. where he's like, yeah, Sam Levinson is like demanding that she be naked. Yeah. Also kind of like old Hollywood vibes. It it's always like an old Hollywood question to just be like, how did you feel about <laughs> 
get naked yeah. on camera, which I feel like was her yeah. whole press tour. Like every other day when Euphoria was airing, yeah. it was just like, Sydney Sweeney said, what about like being topless? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which does feel like genuine, like old Hollywood reportage. Um, one thing I want to say, since we are a fashion podcast, <laughs> is um, from a purely <laughs> fashion point of view, old Hollywood glamour styling has been like a thing on the red carpet for a while but i feel like it was a really 2010 staple like blake mm-hmm. lively seemed to have always nailed this which like has won the hearts of normie woman everywhere and she's on like every mm-hmm. bridal mood board and everyone's like wow like i don't know i don't think she's that pretty but like normie people are like she is the most beautiful she literally woman used to be considered like for some the reason. pinnacle of elegance beauty style and like sass like she was it yeah i have an explanation for this which is that she was she like was like the placeholder for the urge yep. that Jennifer Lawrence yeah. like fulfilled. Oh, she was more of like a like a like a lower rung like placeholder. And then when Jennifer Lawrence came, we realized like, oh my God, wait, like this is what we truly need. Yeah. And she was more of like a um like a stand-in temporarily until Jennifer because Lawrence. Blake Lively has well, no Blake personality. personality is still very yeah. like pizza potatoes type of girl. So Yeah, but because she's skinny, it's annoying. So I don't know. We talked about this in the Billie Eilish emergency roundtable was her vanity fair shoot that was kind of like mm-hmm. old hollywood themed but like dusty pink and nude version which mm-hmm. seemed outdated because that was such like a 2010s thing but i feel like old hollywood glamour is coming yes. back on the red carpet like i think of the way zendaya is often styled and mm. i just have like a list of what this looks like so it's often like red lips with an otherwise pretty natural or like neutral beat always a full-length gown with like no slit like kind of static symmetrical elongated shape not many embellishments, but often it'll be like in sequins or metallics or something reflective. And I think it's mm-hmm. like a psychological thing where if they dress up like an Oscar statue and make themselves look like an Oscar statue or like a trophy or award, like they will win it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a manifestation yeah. technique. But yeah. also the other thing that I noticed is that they're often like off the shoulder or sweetheart necklines. And I think that's like a vestigial thing from old Hollywood because that was the most immodest woman could get like in the golden age of Hollywood. It's just like emphasis on neck and shoulders and breasts, which is like what I associate with like Elizabeth Taylor, Marilyn Monroe, like low necklines, like push and draw vibe, which is very sexy. Mm -hmm. But then I realized the thing that makes this really 2010s is that like old Hollywood style is always associated with a deep side part. Yes, 100%. It's very groomed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah like the deep side right. part and like waves like the deep hollywood waves which i don't know like do you think this is still relevant and like interesting or do you think it's just like such a default red carpet awards show look well i think it's just um kind of the i think it, it almost serves as like a rite of passage right like i was talking about the maryland shoot earlier in the episode right i feel like it's almost like whenever um a sex symbol in our or they're you're trying like i don't know production companies are trying to introduce a new sex symbol you always kind of style them in old hollywood style but i feel like nowadays it almost operates as almost like this is like a flex that i can still look hot in like a very modest outfit or something Mm -hmm. and i think i do think you're right it is like manifestation where it's like i want to be like as iconic as like these older glamour ladies or whatever yeah and when jennifer lawrence famously won the oscar in the probably like 2010 or something she was wearing this beautiful Dior ball gown that was very ball gown-esque. Um, and I have been seeing that silhouette a lot on like Zendaya and other young Hollywood figures. 
So I definitely feel that it is also coming back a little bit. And maybe that is because people have been almost like hyper experimental on the red carpet in the last five or more years. Like think about like Kim Petras dressing up like a horse for the Met Gala. That's obviously like the most extreme mm-hmm. example. But we've definitely seen a lot of like um super kind of skanky looks on the red carpet too. And I think it is just like really refreshing to see someone so polished and um it almost is that kind of like uh Sam, did you say it was like you it's like knowing about who Marilyn Monroe is since like the day you're born or something? Oh yeah. I think it's just um well I just think it a lot of stars, right? Elvis is kind of the same thing where you just come to know their image before you even come to the speak their name, yeah. you know? Like, so it's crazy. I do like, think there's this, like, kind of nostalgia for it as well. But I, personally, I feel like it might get, like, a little less sequiny and more, like, an early Balenciaga-esque. Um, but mm-hmm. that's just my, my two cents. Yeah, I'm trying to think of people I would like to see styled in an old Hollywood way. I am a little tired of it from, I still have like a little bit of a hangover mm-hmm. from it from the 2010s. Like, I think yeah. it was so done. I, I'm still a little, like, I want a little bit more time before we start re- reviving anything. One thing, I, one thing I do think is cool that was more like 2000s than 2010s is I work on a lot of these like fashion photography books with like, you know, Helmut Newton, Ellen von Unworth, those types of like old fashion photographers. And they were obsessed with this very european look i don't really know how to describe it it's kind of old hollywood but like marlena dietrich only like you know fishnets doing like a really defined cupid's bow like tiny dark lipstick do you know what i mean it's kind of yeah it's 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 like very 20s and 30s yeah courtesan yeah well something specifically about helma newton which i've always noticed is um and this is something that uh I forgot his name. Someone was writing about this about Helen Newton, which I think relates to Marlene Dietrich because she's so famous for her androgyny. But Helen Newton is really famous for putting women in these extremely masculine positions of power in his photography. Uh, I think it is just like this very severe, cold, clinical thing. Um, it's almost like, yeah, like he always yeah. talked about how he likes yeah. to have women like submitting every. It's very like dominatrix core, but like in a very classy, like, um, but it, it, at the same time, it's like almost yeah. like unsexual. It's more about power than it is about sex. Like a lot of that photography and a lot of the. It feels like you're saying that you want the revival of like the vamp rather than the bombshell, which. Yes, this is true. Which is definitely something that's been on my mind for a long time because I've been really interested in like 20s 30s oh, 40s yeah. makeup um and i think it's super beautiful and i also was thinking about how it's kind of compatible as well with the um really plucked eyebrows we've been seeing return after like the age of um thick brows in the 2010s so mm-hmm. what should you think about yeah it's yes. really like moulin rouge core i think is what i'm realizing but you're right that it does have to do with that like i don't know i guess the 20s were when women were doing like playful mm-hmm. androgyny and like starting to wear men's hats a lot of those helmet newton photos like the most iconic one is like lace smoking it's like the woman in a ysl suit where she's like smoking yeah. a cigarette i oh i was just thinking mm-hmm. about how i love when women wear top mm-hmm. hats um and obviously marlena dietrich dietrich was a big top hat wearer 
this is also not related, but I was just thinking about like who has like old Hollywood energy. And I definitely think Kiki Palmer has something like really vaudevillian about her because it definitely she definitely has like a Buster Keaton vibe where she's been acting she for so long and she can really just hold. I think people really found like found this again in her when she was hosting the red carpet at the Met Gala, how she could just hold a conversation with anyone and make it super funny. And that yeah. is like that that's like an old Hollywood characteristic to me is having this almost like performance mm-hmm. gene that's like so ingrained in you. Mm-hmm. So comedic. No, that's so true. Kiki Palmer is super. She's so like comedic. She's almost like a, well, that's the thing too. This is the this is the vamps vamps versus bombshell thing, right? Um, which is like I think someone who you know, if I was to for younger listeners, if I was going to recommend like an old Hollywood star for you to look up to, I would rather you look up to like a Catherine Hepburn type than a Marilyn Monroe type because it's like you can yeah. be beautiful, smart, and quick witted, and I think that is like a perfect combination of somebody that you should aspire to be, not just like this woman that like um, temporarily like um puts men under this like unbreakable spell or whatever but at the end of the day no one respects her as a person yeah, right oh my god i love the fast talking like wisecracking old hollywood lady oh my god it's That's so funny. attractive mm-hmm. how do i become more mm-hmm. like that i need to start wearing a top hat <laughs> i think you need to be mm-hmm. like you That's need to be like, indignant like you need to have this uh, kind of indignation but yeah start wearing way. a top hat like, i have not you're not, you're not, you're not that pitying I... and you're not even angry yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is that chalky biscuit? <laughs> I, I had to. I had to. I, I had so to good. Snack, it's a chalky biscuit. <laughs> oh, no, there's more. Oh, um. Anyways, sorry. He has. No, he has okay. one What a king, Jackson Sluice. But he also. Do you know the guy on TikTok who sings and he sounds like SpongeBob, kind of. <laughs> Oh. He does. He does. I'll have to send him to you guys. Oh my god, I didn't love him. He okay, is he like ugly or is he normal? No, right. <laughs> he's normal. I'm excited, but the way that he sings is really funny. Yeah, <laughs> like people yeah. always edit. I don't know. It's like be like when you're waiting too long at the Krusty Krab. Yeah, when, when, me, singing. when me and Jackson <laughs> started dating, we hung out in this park a lot because it was close to where I live, and like when he would have to go to the oh, bathroom yeah okay he would okay, literally yeah. get up and run to the bathroom like as fast as i had ever seen anyone run and i feel like that's very like vaudevillian it's like the noise like the cartoon noise of someone running <laughs> and there's like a like dust behind them Little, anyways yeah he's like running in place for two seconds yeah. before he's <laughs> yeah but i actually have not seen very many Catherine hepburn movies but i would definitely love to watch them I can't believe she's not related to Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn is also an interesting figure because she just kind of like, I don't know, there's not really that much lore to her. Mm. And she's like always compared to Marilyn, but I think she represents a different time and like her movies were less silly. I'm going to say something really controversial and say I don't really like her very Mm. much. I don't really like Audrey Hepburn very much, yeah. She's European. I just no. think she's a little uptight, or she gives a little like um kind of goody goody. And it's her like, kibby body um, type. She's like a gammy. Yeah, like she. Oh, she's a. I mean, I think she's gorgeous, but I think her personality is she very. She was um, a World War Two high strung or something. Very like goody two shoes type thing, and I, I just don't like that in a star. Right. The lore around her is that she. There's actually a lot of lore around her, but she was kind of like oh. a minor. I think Dutch nobility. And so during World War II, she did like ballet performances to fund the resistance. And then she also, everyone was like, why is she so small? Because like, if you see her in like Roman Holiday, you're like, this is the smallest person I've ever seen on screen. 
Um, and it's because allegedly she was yeah. malnourished during her her growth years. And so, so she had to eat tulips um because she had no food. So that's like the lore. She ha- no. that's why she has that's why she has this like her being a humanitarian, like the humanitarian actress, is like very Oh my god. Oh, because she yes. was like UNICEF pill because she was like, I don't want any kids to starve again, like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I guess it's not like it's not like personal tragedy. It's more like this great existential tragedy, which is so different than like a romantic tragedy. It's like okay. the Holocaust. Uh, she's as God is my witness. Sorry. <laughs> she yeah, she doesn't have anything like um and I get it, like she went through struggle and so she has this almost like um tragic um innocence about her. Yeah. But to me it's just like I like a I don't know. I, I like a wisecracking, like um controversial kind of like um I don't know. I wonder why in the sixties it seems like there was this turn to more like princess type oh, it's living, figures. Like Grace Kelly also this was is like, a like literally a princess. It's but, like, the bombshell went out of fashion in the 60s and then mm-hmm. it was like Sharon. Yeah. Do you remember that thing I sent you guys about about boobs? Should we read that? Yes. No, yeah. Like, the boob the boob thing was good. Yeah. There was this piece in Spike Art mm-hmm. magazine recently by Kara Schachter, I guess that's her name. That was about boobs, which you know <laughs> we've talked about before. Um, but she made a really Good point. So the 50s were a repressive age, and we had Marilyn Monroe, Jane Mansfield. The 20s were a wild age, and small breasts were popular. You see, his theory is that in a repressive age, people feel the need for nurturing, and that's why big breasts become popular. Now, my theory is that my friend is confusing cause and effect. Rather than political thought determining breast size, it's the other way around. Big breasts are popular. People look around and they say, oh, there's lots of big breasts. They're very big. They're scary. Someone might get their eye put out. I'm going to vote for Buchanan. <laughs> and conversely, in the 60s, you had people like Penelope Tree and Twiggy, and people looked around and said, oh, there's lots of small breasts around. <laughs> it's okay. I'm safe. I'm going to join a commune and take drugs. Very, like, eye-opening, honestly. I love that. It's so good. I would like to, yeah, I would like to believe that people, that a repressive society is coming from the fact that there are a lot of women with large breasts and people are afraid. And that's my favorite theory. Yeah. Yeah, like... In the 60s, the bombshell fell out of fashion. A lot of sportier body types came into fashion, such as even like Jane Fonda in Barbarella. She's kind of like curvy. Yeah, but uh, Sharon Tate was obviously blonde, but a different type of blonde actress in terms of her beauty. Um, Also, I guess, you know, there was so many, there was a lot of like women's liberation at this time. So I think that affected how people saw like the blonde bombshell and the bimbo archetype yeah it's crazy um but also we've been recording for like uh like an hour and like 30 something minutes so we could start to wrap up yeah would you rather i want to say something about marilyn monroe's fetus okay go on i can't think of an alternate alternate. would you rather be haunted by the voice of marilyn monroe's (laughs) fetus it's the same voice actor from Blonde who's playing the fetus, by the way. Or be, um, oh, have Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis's <laughs> creepy ward, narrate your life um, forever. Mm, he was so <laughs> annoying. Like Tom Hanks became so like Definitely I don't know if he was trying yeah. to be annoying, but it was like unbearable his narration well tom hanks is kind of annoying in general i think he's the type of guy yeah, why has he always been so annoying 
Even in Forrest Gump. Yeah. There's something about this, though, where it's like certain annoying people are really appealing to the general public, like for a specific time mm-hmm. period. And then if the time period changes, they're annoying again. Jennifer Lawrence is this. Um, I think it's just people with like big personalities. Well, some some people Wayne don't like Fisher Quanclaus is getting womaned. So to say that Tom Hanks has been womaned is like funny. I guess Tom Hanks got womaned. Yeah. Yeah, but he also he's like I think he's just so so an example of like boomer excellence or something. Like he's like yeah, a, goofy he's a goofy boomer. Boomer, but he's also had this like great history in the <laughs> cinema. So, do you guys remember how he was like the first guy that got COVID ever? Wait, like, oh my god, that? I forgot about he was <laughs> the first famous person to get COVID. It was so famous that I know his wife's name from it. Yeah, yeah, Rita Hanks. Yeah, Rita Hayward. Yeah. And Chet mm-hmm. Hanks. Oh my god, he's literally they're Hollywood royalty. Yeah, Rita Hanks. Okay. I mean, I guess like people feel annoyed by <gasps> him in the same way they sometimes feel annoyed by Will oh, Smith. Yeah. He was um, awesome. There is something about. Oh yeah. But he's not he's not a menace. No, but like, I guess they both good. are like prestige actors, but they are a little goofy. Um I wouldn't say they're prestige, they're that like specific type of Hollywood where it's yeah, like true. you were in some like blockbusters, you have Wait, iconic I feel roles. Like they are but, like, like prestige actors, I have to be honest. Not like prestige in like the British sense. But like not like Shakespeare. No, vibes, but no. that's different. Cause I think if we're thinking about like mainstream Hollywood, like who would yeah. our parents say it? Who's like an American prestige actor? Like Adam yeah. Driver? Different generation though. No, I think it is just the, the yeah. vaudeville. Uh, it's the vaudeville roots of American cinema. I yeah. think it's just like we don't our prestige. I mean, this is just Americans have always been mid-brow in general at best. Jack right? Nicholson kind of prestige, prestige. I think is more reserved for the Europeans, which is why I don't know. he's a goofy boomer as well. <laughs> Whenever I think of him, I just think of that like um that photo of him when he spilled all that chili in a Tupperware at a basketball game. <laughs> Do y'all remember? That? What? <laughs> no, he's. He's like he's like almost old Hollywood age. Like he actually is. So yeah, yeah. I mean, he was like in The Shining, which is like actually feels like that was still old Hollywood, but it was in nineteen seventy. Yeah. So yeah, he was already like could be a young grandpa. His old father in law was John <gasps> Huston, right? Yeah, um, Angelica Huston. Is he Angelica Huston? Yeah. No, y'all don't know that photo of him whenever he brought a Tupperware of chili to a I, Lakers game, I, and then he spilled. I think it's, it's overshadowed by him eating the bad guy. In the water with like a young on the court, he was courtside when it happened. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely has like mayo on his the corners of his mouth. But see, this is why he can't have prestige. He's just like a like a sloppy old man. <laughs> like, oh, you know, okay. A new would you rather? Sorry, I feel like my, wait. Did you ever answer fetus or Colonel Tom Parker? I'd rather have Tom Parker. Tom Parker. The fetus sounds insidious. The fetus, literally, that's why I can't say that that movie was pretentious or, like, art house, because mm-hmm. why would there be a talking fetus? <laughs> like, a talking CGI fetus that literally said, like, it said something so funny. corny. Like, I, I, I thought that shit was so funny. And it, <laughs> it was like, you killed me, mommy. You killed me. Yeah. I thought that shit was awesome. Yeah. I thought that was It's really just, cool. like, in the uncanny valley of, like, is this for real or is it, like... I don't know. Like, I wanted to be serious, but it wasn't. Everything that people hated about this movie were, like, my favorite parts. I don't know if there's just something wrong with me, but I was just like, dude, that shit rules. I guess rules. it was, like, subverting. <laughs> it was it was subverting art house. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was disrupting. <laughs> so funny. 
I mean, it was just like a random XD movie. It was just like kind of trying all this different shit. Like, you know, like just do it. Okay, wait, this is another thing I want to talk about. Both Blonde and Elvis allegedly got like 10 minutes standing ovations on the festival circuit in Europe. And I'm just like, I think like you would think it's because it's a good movie, but I think it's because people are just moved by the legacy of these actors. Like it has nothing to do with the actual film, right? And also I think those are paid um, opportunities, those standing ovations. So no one should take those seriously anymore. Mm -hmm. That's what, okay. So I just think, well, I think the standing ovation, I'm just a staunch defender of Blonde. I think it was deserved, but I do think there's like a lot of, yeah, you can't trust those because it's also like, um, I think it, people feel obligated to do those, yeah, right? Priscilla Presley was in the audience. So like, how are you not going to stand up and clap? I literally think if I was in a standing ovation at that, like I was part of it, I would keep standing if I felt like mm-hmm. other people were still standing because I'd want to be part of the 10 minute standing ovation yeah i guess like who's gonna be the first one to sit down it's gonna that's what i'm saying yeah it's like it's very much like crowd politics or something yeah. it's very much like a new spring church they used to do this thing where they would be like <laughs> stand up if you got saved and like of course you're in middle school you're sitting next to your friend who's like gonna stand up and you're like okay Yo. like this is awkward and then they like literally count the amount of people standing up and they're like 250 <laughs> like youths got saved today and i'm like no i didn't like wait that happened to me too up. that's crazy we both got yeah and i wanted them to discount me from that statistic, <laughs> honestly yeah <laughs> okay next question that's beautiful that you guys got saved um next question okay um i was gonna say something about like john and the mark brothers right yes oh my god harpo and <laughs> harpo it's like Groucho, Harpo, like Bebo, like I don't know. Like, <laughs> is it just two? There's another one? No, there's four Marx brothers. One of them is one of there's four Marx brothers. One of the, one of them, well, actually, like they Groucho always said this like really batty old woman was like the fifth Marx brother. She was like six foot ten or something. And in all the movies, he'd be like, Yeah, in all that the movies, this. they like they like make they make a bunch of jokes to her that are really funny. Cause she's just like this t- tall talking woman, and she's like, Woo, like just kind of it's like that, but um, I was going to say that like Three Stooges versus Marx Brothers. Um, Harpo is the creepy one, right? Harpo is the little boy that doesn't talk. I mean, he literally played the harp, so I think he's valid. Yeah. Harpo Marx. Would you rather um, oh, have to fight off Harpo Marx, who has a giant cartoon sized hammer and is trying to smash you, or would you rather um, uh, have to um, uh fight off um curly who is the fat three stooge of the three stooges <laughs> and he thinks you're a giant sandwich in like in a cartoon um i think if i don't know so- <laughs> i think a sandwich i think wait, wait there's no actual sandwich given my appetite and like my internal obesity i think i could make that work in a way. No, he thinks you're a sandwich. Oh. <laughs> you're the sandwich. I'm so sorry. You guys. No, but you're in the sandwich. <laughs> oh, he thinks yeah, I'm a sandwich. Oh, I thought that maybe I was in a real sandwich. I could convince him, like, why don't we just eat this together? I like it. It had you guys just eat it together. Yeah, we could just go with that one because I think my scenario is so um incomprehensibly it's complex. <laughs> it's like literally surrealist and art house as fuck. I just think gags and props are just an important part of my life, everyday life. So I think, um, like, I, I was just drawn to, like, scenarios like this. I'm not liking the hammer in situation one. No, I, as a, I think that because there's a hammer, I'd have to go with scenario two. Because, yeah, 
I do think there's some camaraderie to have over like let's go get a, let's go get a meatball sub together. Versus, you know, actually, I need to take a you, what do you, what would you do, Sam? Um, honestly, I think yeah, I would definitely go with the sandwich thing because I think Curly was very clumsy and um, Harpo was known for being extremely um suave mm. in his like prankster movements like he was always really good he would like cut people's hair behind their backs without them noticing so i just think he he's just like a mm. lot more adept at um pranking you um i see yeah i agree okay um what's my would you rather hmm i feel like mine has something to do with like grooming brad pitt's mustache mm-hmm. mm. Would you rather, this is, okay, so would you rather be tasked with grooming Brad Pitt's mustache um, during this very hard time in his life when he's very volatile, so he might hit you, mm. or... I think that's more of a danger to him, because I'm the one with the scissors. <laughs> <laughs> okay, or would you rather have to um, lay in a... De Armis's Marilyn Monroe wig every single day, but lay in it, lay it like you have to lay her wig. Oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, okay. yeah you have to lay her wig every single day. Um, but you're being verbally harassed by Andrew Dominic, and he mm-hmm. is calling you. He's speaking in the same voice as the fetus. Uh. <laughs> The fetus is a part of every single one of these. Yeah. Um, I think that Brad would actually really like me. There's just something. There's that him, makes me there's think. a synergy. Yeah, I think they were really similar in a lot of ways. Okay. See, I was gonna say the same thing, but you guys both think you're similar to Brad. <laughs> I honestly get him so mixed up with Leonardo DiCaprio that I like don't really remember what he's in. He's in oh, a fight, fight Club, right? Oh, but- yeah. Oh, my God. I would use soap. Like, you know how you do soap brows? I would mm. use the Fight Club soap to lay his mustache. Mm, to give him a feathered mustache. You know, yeah. That reminds him of better days, I think. Yeah. I would want to be, like, a tonic for his his sorrows, right? Like, mm. um, I would want to be his piece. You know what I mean? Damn, <laughs> that's like, so slutty. Have you guys seen those, like, Instagram barbers who are, like, really hot <laughs> women who just, like, will sit on guys' laps yeah. and, like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that would be me with Brad Pitt. Wait, but he's an abuser. Like, oh, I don't want to say that. Like, I like him too much. You well, know? I think that this is still up for debate, right? Because he was found not guilty by the FBI. Um, oh, I see. Of, of, and that's why Angela yeah. Julius. By the way, the guys, this isn't a comment on their personal situation. We're just thinking about him and his little mustache, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that there's a lot more to glean from Brad Pitt than there probably is from Anna de Armas. Just because she's truly at the beginning of her career. Um, yeah, so I agree with you guys on that one. She just does not have star power to me. She was in a mm-hmm. James Bond movie and like literally was so annoyed. That's interesting. She's just like cabbage, ca- cabbage patch kid face. Okay, like, well, a lot of people think she has star power, to be honest. And that's like a thing people say about her. Is, like She has this charisma that really like sets her apart from other... She looks like, a, I don't know, it's like American Girl doll. Like Something about her face yeah. really annoys me. Yeah, she does have an emoji face for sure, which I guess is really good in some senses, but obviously not to your liking. I'm literally a Latina lover. Like, I love Anya Taylor-Joy, so... <laughs> yeah. Do you guys... Okay, I guess this... Like, Anya Taylor-Joy, is she the future of old Hollywood? Oh. 
she's almost like a she has like the Audrey Hepburn vibe a yeah. little bit, but she's a little bit more. She's like um the Goody Two Shoes version of like um something more like edgy because she's yeah. married to that like um guy with a mullet or Malcolm McRae. She's married to like a 1975 woman. Yeah, yeah, Malcolm yeah. McRae. Yeah, I agree. I also feel like she doesn't for some reason. I feel like there's not a lot of like tabloid press around her. Mm-hmm. Like she's not someone that's always on the cover of tabloids in my and what I've what I've observed. She would so. be on the cover of the girl blogging tabloid with her cigarette and iced coffee for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, true. She's on the cover of the Instagram story tabloid. It's so true. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm guilty. The mid-board, the mid-board economy. I mean, she does, I mean, she really does give such like 2010s teen vogue, like um 30 under 30 type thing. I like, love I don't it, know. Though. I love it. Yeah, no, no, I do too. Yeah. I also feel like she does have actually incredible lore, but she is kind of a Nepo baby. But mm-hmm. I know that she was like engaged once before at a young age and now that she's secretly <gasps> married that is some interesting lore mm-hmm. she was engaged like to someone that. else before that yeah like a guy who's not sexy in the way that her new husband is Ooh, i like that too because it's like even though she's a nepo baby she has this like almost like narrative of like rapunzel-esque like she's like yeah a, a, it seems like she's not a, a social climber thing. which is good yeah she would never date someone more famous than her well she's like so yeah no yeah that's true um she seems i don't really know what the details of her background but i thought it was like yeah like she's like um i know next level like generations and generation oh please give me details of her background okay so she's half british half american but she was raised in venezuela for part of her life born in miami then when she was like nine, they moved to the United Kingdom and she refused to speak English because she wanted to move back to Venezuela. And her dad is involved in like international banking. I think he's like an OBE, which is like, um, you're like knighted by the queen. And then her mom is, wait, maybe she actually is part Venezuelan. I thought her mom was American, but anyway, so she does, she has this international jet set. Um, which is actually kind of similar to Audrey Hepburn because Audrey Hepburn was like half British, half like Dutch yeah. or something. Yeah, global citizenship. Yeah, type global thing. Citizen. Yeah. citizen of the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that either of her parents. Oh, her mom is British in Argentine. Okay. Anyways, so interesting. We can wrap up because we've been recording for quite some time now. Yeah. yeah. So, um, any final notes, you guys? Uh, uh, no, I just, I would really encourage the listeners to truly actually watch old Hollywood movies. Yeah. There are, maybe we should make like some sort of list or something of like, like Perfect. Nymphed alumni, like yeah. must watch movies. Um, yeah. Cause it is just, it teaches you so much about, and there's also so much repression in them that like the pathologies of your own psyche are almost like. Like I said, like repression a lot of times makes um, what is repressed a lot more obvious. So it could help your psychology as well. And I like, I feel like writers back then, like sometimes the plot is like kind of boring, but the actual dialogue, I feel like when I watch them, I become smarter and yeah, I like same. absorb witty things to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. like people just don't have conversations like that anymore. Yeah, well, it's, snappy. it's like the opposite of like mumble core. Like everything is like about a clapback and enunciation. Like, yeah. And just like, mm-hmm. you know, these hidden meanings and like subtle, like slide yeah. digs and like double entendres. Really expert flirting. And yeah, I feel like the closest thing to that is like listening to rap music now. 
it's like <laughs> getting yourself in the mindset of like witty comebacks and like double entendres and stuff that but, is so true you know. but there's such a dark especially now with rap music there's such darkness um, um what about ice spice ice spice okay no that's i was thinking more of like um she's kind of like marilyn monroe to me who is she ice spice you know she is i feel super neutral about her honestly like i think um the song is okay and she's really pretty but yeah i think i just have such neutrality about her she's pretty i think she's really pretty yeah that sounded so mean (laughs) i I think she's really pretty she has a really pretty smile and like yeah she does have a pretty smile she famously just has like a bizarre visual that i have never like she literally looks like no one that has ever lived no that's true and just um she has a little bit of wendy's Mm. wendy vibe but also like like an evil like chucky doll or like mm -hmm. cabbage patch kid yeah but somehow i still think she's pretty and i like that she's thick She's she dresses sick. like shit, which I think is... Wait, what's her name? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Ice Spice? <laughs> You're not going to believe it. Wait, this yeah, she's that girl live Ice like... Spice reaction on the air. Okay. Oh, yeah. Ooh. I think she's... Wait, let me see. Allow. Oh, I think she kind of does look like a Cabbage Patch Kid. She's really cute, though. Yeah, I she's feel. cute. No, with the darkness, I was more talking about, like, the trend now in rap songs about, like naming your ops and songs and like i don't know people oh, like yeah. writing like mute songs of celebration after they've killed somebody it's like a and, huge like, legal thing now they're trying to make yeah. it illegal to bring up lyrics in court etc yeah. no i mean i think that it should be illegal I, I believe in the freedom of expression but it definitely like and it's just gotten so dark with a lot of stuff but well that's why you guys should watch something like it hot featuring mm-hmm. Marilyn monroe it's true also uh, i watched duck soup earlier this week rewatched it and yeah like the the quickness of the wit it really like i had to rewind so many parts because it was just like so many double entendres just one after the other yeah like over and over again that i i had to like take a second pause and think about it it was so like chock full of wit so brilliant someone should make like a rap genius but it's for old hollywood movies you can like understand the nuances and Mm -hmm. subtext of what they're saying yeah also like why are they all named such cute things like some like it hot cat on a hot tin roof like what are these idioms like mm-hmm. and like catchphrases i don't know we lived in a more um yeah, think, idiomatic time linguistic. i think it was actually i feel like movies only usually have like one name like one word name now now yeah they do yeah so that's probably why right Except don't worry darling oh fuck that was another kind of old hollywood that's an moment, old hollywood moment mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah for sure so yeah i guess guys have a little old hollywood night Put some rollers in your hair. Smoke mm-hmm. a cigarette inside. Mm. And think about your... I don't know. Instead of manifesting... Like, go to an audition, even if you don't want to be an actor. Yeah, yeah. you should go audition for something. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I don't mean, like, a Dove Charney commercial. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> we may have influenced you to do that in the past, but we... Yeah. Think you should audition for... Um, a Netflix original? A Netflix original. <laughs> Well, hope you guys are having a good October. More, more, more coming soon. More, more to come. Yeah, to come. guys, I'm like tucked into my bed, but it's so hot. I like, know. Have you ever been just so hot? Yeah, under your yeah. I'm like, like I hot. need to get out of here. Yeah, I need to go eat my 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 supper. Oh my god, yeah. it's so late. Yeah, I have to go so meet up late. with that girl. Um, no, she's late. She just liked my Instagram story. What's her name? Rui. Rui. Rowie. It's like Rowie. Whatever she said, I thought it was like R O W I E, but it's like Chinese, so it's like R U O Y I. Okay. Like Rowie. Yeah. 
All right, I'm excited. I'm gonna have to go to the really uh, the crusty graffiti barbecue. So God bless. <laughs> God. I'm, got, I'm about to go to a darty. Oh, What's that's that? So fun. Like a daytime party. Ooh, cute. Yeah, it's on someone's roof. I love it. In the East Village. So I don't know. It could be kind of old Hollywood if I make it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. I'll be like a cat on a hot tin roof. The roof might be kind of hot. Mm-hmm. Love you guys. Ciao.